student and went to class. Like, there was no doubt about it. But I was just like, I should be at home right now. It's Thanksgiving break. Like, why, why am I in class right now? But, I mean, I guess you could just look forward to Christmas. I mean, we're only two weeks away from Christmas break at this point. Yeah, it's it's going by pretty quick. I got to say, though, that finals week is staring me down. <sighs> Not ready for finals week. Yeah, that's, that's but before we get into finals week, I, I got to ask, I ask this to almost everyone, what's better, Christmas or Thanksgiving? Because as I've gotten older, it's gotten closer and closer to Thanksgiving. Where as a kid, th- Christmas was was way in front. You know, I kind of got to agree with you a little bit. I, I feel like Christmas was just that thing as a child that everyone was fixated on. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten to appreciate Thanksgiving a lot more because it's just it's more of like my style. Like I love a day full of food, full of football, full of like, you know, it's just a much better vibe. than Christmas. I feel like Christmas is a little more stressful sometimes. But that's just I mean, I don't know about you, David. I think I think this is going to be controversial. I think Christmas food is better than Thanksgiving food. What? Elaborate. Yeah. Can, can we elaborate a little bit? A Christmas ham <laughs> beats a Thanksgiving turkey mm. 10 out of 10 times. I don't know if mm. I agree with that. I'm, like, not the biggest turkey guy in the world, but I would take a turkey over, like, a, a ham. I just, I don't know. Like, a ham doesn't sit well with me. See, it, it's kind of weird because I'm not a pork guy. I don't like bacon. Okay. But a, just, like, a whole ham, there's something like a honey-baked ham. Oh, mm. okay. Yeah. I got to say, I, I had a, a bit of a Friendsgiving uh, on Sunday, and me and my friend made a ham, and it was it was by far the best dish. So I, I got to agree with you on that. But I, I think ham also qualifies as a Thanksgiving dish. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's definitely the uh, the secondary to a turkey because it's a lot easier to cook and also I mean it's just like one of those safe options that you can bring that people will eat it. You know, nobody's gonna go against it. Uh, that leads me actually into my question of the day. I didn't tell you guys the question of the day because I wanted to put you guys on the spot. Uh, but it is Thanksgiving Eve. We are tomorrow. You know, we're gonna be eating lots of food most likely. Uh, and I want to ask you guys, what is in your opinion the best Thanksgiving food? I know it's a tough one. I think I think this one gets too much hate. I I, I was actually scrolling on this similar uh, question earlier today on Instagram. It said, "What's the worst one?" And everyone said cranberry sauce, and I I almost lost my mind because I am a huge cranberry sauce fan. Really, Whether it's in yeah. the can or homemade, I'm all for cranberry sauce. Wow, that that is a wild card right there. I've never heard anybody say cranberry sauce as their number one Thanksgiving. It, it's usually a close one. But dead set number one. Dead set. And when are you having cranberry sauce not on Thanksgiving? Never. That's and true. And so it's like it's an it's an icon of Thanksgiving. He's not wrong. But I feel like that's that's what makes it a lower tier. If you never want to have it aside from Thanksgiving, like you you'll eat a turkey sandwich anytime. Yeah, but I mean it's true. Like when else do you eat cranberry sauce? Like I I'm not a big cranberry guy, and I. I don't find myself eating it in the middle of April, you know. Yeah, I think I would enjoy it. I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't go to that. I don't know why, but yeah, I don't, it's so delicious in my opinion. How what about you guys? Yeah, I was gonna say, what about you, David? Um, I'm a true five year old at heart. I gotta go with the mac and cheese. Oh yes, classic, classic. yes, classic. That's easy, the classic. I love it. It's just such a good dish to have. I mean, anyone can bring it. You can mix it up any way you want to. You can just do from like a box of Kraft mac and cheese to even just going as far as like you put three cheeses in there. Like there's just so many things you could do with it. It's a hard thing to mess up. It really is. I mean, like it actually like boggles my mind sometimes. Like whenever I see messed up mac and cheese or like 
burnt mac and cheese. I'm like, how did you do that? It's like a messed up baked potato. It's like yeah, it's <laughs> like you can't really mess it up. Like it, it's I, my my friend the other day was was actually in charge of making the mac and cheese dish and. She made it out of a box, and she poured the the uh, cheese packet in the boiling water. Oh, I'm like, unbelievable! Unforgivable. See, it's unforgivable. like that's the thing. It's it's you can mess it up, but like that could have been avoided. Obviously, yeah, it wasn't a, a simple mistake, I guess. But I mean, I I mean, did that can't happen? It can't happen. Yeah, especially if twenty one years old. Especially if the party is relying on that dish, you don't want to mess around with it. Uh. Mine's a little bit out of, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's a th- particular food that you have on Thanksgiving, but in my opinion, and this has gotten a lot of attention the past couple of years, the day after sandwich combined with all the fixings from last <sighs> night. It's underrated. I really think so. And I think a lot of people have started to get on this trend where – you save all the leftovers from the night before. I mean, obviously, you do save the leftovers, but instead of just heating it up the next day and just making yourself the same plate you had last night, you grab some bread, you throw it all on a sandwich, you put it in the oven or the toaster, maybe slap some cheese on there, and you just got one of the best Killer. sandwiches in the world. Killer. So good. Make it a little extra meta. Take the cornbread, slice that. <laughs> oh, my. You're giving me an idea right now. I don't know. I just... Like, in my opinion, like I said, I'm a big Thanksgiving guy. I love all the food. You know, there's a lot of different foods that you can have. But in my opinion, just that turkey sandwich with stuffings uh, that you have the next day, it just, it hits so hard. Especially, you wake up the next day, you know, you want to, you're trying to eat the same thing again, but you want to mix it up a little bit. That's how you do it right there. You go, you make sure you get the bread for the day after, and you make yourself a sandwich. That, That, in my opinion, just sums up the perfect way to... Used your Thanksgiving leftovers. Can't uh, say that I disagree. I can't disagree, and we're also going to have some some Oregon State football to watch while we're eating those. Uh, oh yeah, Oregon, Oregon, State, Oregon football. State football. While eating that in that sandwich that you love so much, <laughs> definitely going to be munching down that sandwich on Friday. So yeah, that leads us into our first topic: Oregon football matches Oregon State. Five thirty kickoff on Friday. Bit, bit of an earlier kickoff, obviously, on Friday than Saturday. A lot of the rivalry week is going to happen on Saturday, but we are they are one of the only matches that is happening on Friday evening. I mean, I, I before we get into anything, I mean, do you guys like the five thirty kickoff on Friday, or do you guys wish it was on Saturday? I love it, honestly. I I think that there's something special to getting those special windows right. Everybody plays on rivalry weekend on Saturday. You know, that's that's where you have the, the game between Michigan and Ohio State, and you have, um, you know, Auburn, Alabama, all these big-time rivalries. But there's only, like, two or three games that really get shine on that Friday, and I think that Oregon-Oregon State deserves it. I mean, it's one of the longest-running rivalries in all of college football, um, and with that, all of sports. I, I just I think that it's it's right there nestled between the between the Cowboys Thanksgiving game and the Lions Thanksgiving games and the rest of rivalry weekend. Oh yeah, mm. I agree. I, I think I mean everyone loves Thursday night football in the NFL, and to have Friday night football in college is just something special. And then on top of that, to have it right after Thanksgiving, it's just the weekend can't get better. Um, yeah, I mean yeah. especially if you're an Oregon fan, I mean you've got four straight days of football. I mean, there's obviously going to be more matchups on Friday outside of Oregon and Oregon State, but 
like you said, most of the games happen on Saturday, but you have at least one top 20 matchup happening on Friday that you're able to watch. So, I mean, if you're a football fan, this has got to be a great weekend for you. Uh, Oregon is co- going in 10-1. and Oregon State, they're coming off a loss to Washington. It was a pretty close game. They only lost 22-20, to and they were in it for most of it. Oregon currently sits at number six in the top 25 poll. Oregon State got moved down to 16. Uh, you know, in my opinion, 16 is, is a good spot for them. Obviously, Washington is a tough opponent. They're a top five opponent. They moved up to four this past weekend, overtaking Florida State. And, you know, obviously you hate to see it because now Arizona is over it, and that kind of creates a problem for Oregon. We'll get into it in just a little bit, but now Oregon State's down to 16. Either way, they're going to play with a fire, and we all know why. The Big Ten move coming up, Oregon State staying in the pack, Oregon going to the Big Ten. This may be the last matchup between these two teams, at least until for a couple years, because we know it's not going to be on the schedule next year. We didn't see it on the schedule for the year after that. So, obviously, both teams are going to be playing with a lot of fire. Oregon still trying to make a case for a top-four spot. Oregon State, at this point, they're just trying to ruin Oregon's chances because that, that's just always what they do, pretty much. That's what that's what Oregon State for is does. Little brother's got to play spoiler, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, if there's any thought that Oregon State is just going to sit down on Autzen Field and not play hard because kind of they don't have anything to play for for the rest of the season, that is absolutely wrong. I'm sure there is nothing more they'd love than to beat down on the Ducks uh, on their own turf. Yeah, so this is going to be a high emotion game for sure, but it leads me into my first question. For you guys personally, or at least looking at this team, both these teams, what's really going to be the deciding factor in this game? I think clear as day it starts with the defensive line and stopping the run. Last year, the Oregon Ducks got embarrassed and ended their season uh, in this exact game. Oregon State really finished their chances of making any big postseason run, and that all started with the run game for Oregon State. In response to that, Dan Landing brought in transfers uh, to that defensive line to try to help that in a game like today, or in, on Friday, rather. Um, and, and that defensive line is going to be huge moving forward. I think the it's going to be the Oregon State defensive line and the Oregon offensive line that dictate this game. Specifically, Oregon State does some very unique things on defense, specifically with the defensive line, the way that they shift up their looks and they sh- change their direction that they're rushing from on each down. It's something that's very unique to college football. You normally see stuff like that at the next level, but Oregon has one of the best offensive lines in the country. So it's going to be a great matchup of can the the mental aspect from Oregon State get ahead of the Oregon offensive line? Because I don't think that Oregon State's defensive line can match up with Oregon straight up. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I think the offensive line doesn't get enough credit, and obviously – Due to that, because they have a really good quarterback, and a lot of people are assuming that, oh, he's a Heisman contender, he must do everything. No, he has a really good offensive line that, give him, that gives him time in the pocket, that gives him the ability to make those long passes towards the end zone. We saw it on against Arizona State. He just threw one up to Troy Franklin, and he had all the time in the world. So, yeah, I mean, the offensive line is just a huge credit. But i got to agree with Ben here. I think the deciding factor is def- definitely going to be the defense. The offense, obviously, you still need to show out, of course, Similar to USC, though, Oregon State has a pretty solid offense. They're averaging a little over 36 points a game this season. They put up 62 against Stanford, 52 against Cal. It's not They're not as much of a threat as Oregon, but still a very good and productive offense. They obviously, you know, they had some good drives against Washington. DJ Uigalele, 
Transfer over from Clemson. He's had a pretty nice season so far. 20 TDs, 2,400 yards. He's obviously going to be looking for his top two targets, Jack Veeling with eight touchdowns, 419 receiving yards, and Silas Bolden, four TDs, 662 yards. They Really, they need to contain him like Caleb Williams, in my opinion. Not necessarily need takeaways. You know, I kind of thought before that that's what Oregon needed to succeed, was they needed takeaways. They needed the big plays. But we saw it against Arizona State. They didn't really have any takeaways in the first half, yet they still pitched a shutout over Arizona State in the first half. So, in my opinion, if you could just contain DJ and really get Oregon State's offense off the field as quickly as possible, you don't really need any of those big plays that you've been looking for all season long. Yeah, kind of bouncing off of that. I'm confident in Oregon's offense. They're one of the only teams, I think one of three teams that have – uh, put up 30 points or more uh, every single game this season. Their offense has, has proven to be consistent and, and a team that I think everyone expects uh, to perform here on Friday night. But this defensive squad has had some shaky uh, plays and some shaky games. But again, this is, this is I'm sure, the game that Dan Landing has been looking forward to and, and trying to prove those transfers uh, like a Justin Jacobs, like Connor Soule, trying to prove that that defensive line can step up and, and make a difference like they didn't last year. Yeah, I think I heard him say early in the week, too, that this is almost like the Super Bowl. I mean, even though they still technically need to play two more games and before they get to the uh, playoffs, before they get a top-four spot, they still need to play two more. A lot of people consider the Pac-12 championship kind of the Super Bowl against Washington, but no, he knows what this win is going to mean not just to, for the team's resume, but also for the fans, especially after last year, Oregon lost to Oregon State and missed out in the Pac-12 championship. And also, they were fighting for a spot in the playoff. So he knows what this is going to mean. I saw something, too, in the video saying that they've been playing highlights from the fourth quarter last year when they kind of blew the lead. And it just shows you the emotion and mentality that is really surrounding this game and that everyone is going to be playing with a chip on the shoulder, especially Knicks, because... He was hurt last year when they played Oregon State. He wasn't healthy. He didn't exactly have the last ideal three games that you would want your starting quarterback to play. And you would have thought, if he would have been healthy, how far could Oregon have gone that year? You know, I also think um, something else that is a really big opportunity this weekend is Coach Dan Lanning. He has, his, he has an opportunity to really stake his claim in the history books as an Oregon coach. You know, this is going to be the last meeting – of these two teams for the foreseeable future and uh just a little bit of background i'm from texas and i was there when texas and texas a&m stopped playing Mm. and that i mean it's the agricultural school versus the the liberal arts school in the in the state it's the it's almost the same thing and i can tell you ut fans are still bragging about the last time they played um a&m and beat them so it's gonna it's gonna be a long Long few years coming up for whoever loses this game. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that leads me to my next point. I was just talking about Bo Nix. He's been playing great. I would say he's been playing like a Heisman contender. Wouldn't you guys agree? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Number one Heisman right now as far as in DraftKings uh, Sportsbook, as far as the odds right now, uh, last week against Arizona State, he had a really good game. He had six TDs in just the first half alone, which just – absolutely blew everyone away. Nobody thought that that was going to be such a high-scoring game, even though it was Arizona State. Uh, you know, Oregon State, it's going to be tough. Their defense is tough. They're Even though they're number 16 right now, they dropped uh, the game to Washington. For Bo Nix right now, 
the way he's been playing, does he need to have another crazy stat line to keep himself in the favor for Heisman? Because we know in the beginning of the year, you know, he didn't have these crazy games. He was throwing maybe one or two touchdowns, rushing for one. But the consistency has just been there all year. And these last two weeks, he's really just driven it up. He had a great game against USC, threw for four TDs. Same thing against Cal, threw for four, rushed for two. So slowly he's been kind of getting better as the season goes. I mean, does he need another four or five TD game to keep himself in the Heisman as number one? I, I don't think so. I think at this point in the season, the win column is a stat for the Heisman, especially if that Heisman is a quarterback. At this point in the season, I think if for, for Bo Nix's team and individual goals, getting that W is essentially really all that matters. Of course, he can't have a horrendous game and win, but if he does his job and, and ends up winning against uh, winning against Oregon State and then going on to beat Washington, I think that sets him up to win the Heisman. I think there's two ways that this could go for, for Bo to stay in the Heisman race. I don't think that he needs to have a gaudy numbers game. I don't think that he needs to put up, you know, four or five touchdowns. But I do think that he's going to have to be able to show that he has control and he has the reins of the of the team, of the game. That I think, you know, you look back on his performance. I think one of the most perform most unbelievable performances of him this season was whenever we went, whenever Oregon went up to Washington, and he was controlling everything at the line of scrimmage. There was, it seemed like each play he was having to check out two or three times because of the crowd noise. And he really commanded the team that ga that game. And even, yes, he did have a very good game stat-wise that game. He, I think if he just puts up that performance and even if it's low scoring, that'll look favorably on him. Yeah, I like that a lot. You know, I, I agree with both of you guys. I don't think he needs a big stat line. He doesn't need to throw six touchdowns like he did last week. I just think he needs to manage the game. Oregon obviously needs to win if, you know, to give him a chance because obviously looking at it, you know, everything in perspective, if Oregon loses this game, they're most likely out of a top four spot. They wouldn't be out of a, a Pac-12 championship berth, but right now they are looking really good for a top four spot. But also for Bo Nix, yeah, I mean, he doesn't need a high-scoring game. He doesn't need to have 400-plus yards. He just really needs to manage the game and just win. It's it's really as simple as that. Maybe against Washington, need to put up a kind of a big stat line just because it's Washington and they're most likely going to need to have a high-scoring game in order to win that one. But against Oregon State, it's a tough opponent. It's a tough defense. I don't really think he needs that, you know, many passing yards or many passing TDs. But, you know, we're going to see what he can do because he's really surprised a lot of people against these teams, especially against USC. Well, a win against Oregon State is necessary because if – Oregon loses to Oregon State and Arizona beats Arizona State. Oregon is out of the Pac-12 championship. And that 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 ends, I think, Bonix's Heisman race just right there because then the only game left is a is sort of a knockoff bowl game. I yeah. mean, w would you agree that that would, that would end it? Yeah, I mean, it would because obviously if you lose, and especially if since Washington is already in the Pac-12 championship, that kind of secures it. Obviously, Jaden Daniels from LSU still has – you know, the ability to make a case for himself in the bowl game. But, yeah, I mean, if Oregon loses, I mean, Bo Nix is out of the Heisman race without a doubt. I, I would assume maybe he would go to New York, but he would definitely be the number three or four guy at that point. Yeah, and the, and the Pac-12 gets enough slack, I think, from the rest of the country. And if, if they're looking at the, the Pac-12 championship and Oregon's not even in it, I, I don't think that would that would bode well for him. Yeah. My last question to you guys is, 
you know, I've only been in Oregon. I'm a sophomore, so I've only been in Oregon for uh, about a year and a third. Ben, I know you're a junior. David, are you a you're a grad? I'm a grad student. Grad student, yeah. So, my last question too is more of a personal one, but I would also like to see you know if if you guys do your research a little bit. As far as rivalry week, because that's what we're in right now. Obviously, a lot of in-state, you know, state versus university going on. Where does Oregon and Oregon State rank in terms of rivalry week matchups? There's going to be a lot this week. We got Michigan, Ohio State. We got um, USC and UCLA. We have Florida against Florida State. That's going to be a big matchup. I mean, where does Oregon and Oregon State rank in your guys' perspective as far as rivalry week? And we're talking about current rivalries that are playing this week yes um i'd say it's up in my top three probably number three i i have to give the nod to michigan ohio state it's the game um it's just there's something about it that envelops you no matter where you're from you you identify with either the wolverines or the buckeyes and it it's just there's something about it there's you know you're trading stadiums of over a hundred thousand people each year you know the traditions at at ohio state like marking out every m on campus it's just there's just something special about that yeah i I gotta say i'm a huge oregon fan and i'm trying to be as not biased as possible here but again like you said michigan and oregon state i mean in ohio state rather (laughs) that's by far, I think the best rivalry uh, of the weekend. And second, I got to give the nod to Alabama versus Auburn. The history between mm-hmm. those two teams, the legendary games uh, between those two. And Auburn has sort of fallen on hard times recently, football wise. But just whenever those two teams play, it seems to be uh, two evenly matched teams. Uh, so I would say those those two are the top two. And then I'll give Oregon, Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, Oregon, Oregon State just kind of ranks up there as far as top matchups, not just this weekend, but also in history. For me, it's got to be Florida State and Florida. It's obviously big if you're an Oregon fan because Florida State is at number five right now, meaning if they can win this weekend and also if Florida State loses to Florida, which right now Florida is favored because of Jordan Travis's injury. Obviously, he got injured. He broke his leg. He's out for the rest of the year. Uh, it happened last week. Really... I mean, yeah, if you're an Oregon fan, you're watching that Florida-Florida State game really close because if Florida State loses, they're probably going to drop. And assuming nothing happens or the committee doesn't favor Alabama or Texas over Oregon, Oregon could end up at number five by the beginning of the next week. And on that note, I just got to give my my second place. And I know technically it's not being played, but it's coming back next year. And I mentioned it earlier, the UT – Texas A&M game. Oh, it's, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. You know, already starting the hype train, hype train here. Just, just going to have to wait another 12 months. Wow. I think that's a game that no matter how good those teams are, just the atmosphere of being in Texas and the Texas and, and Texas A&M fans will make it just an awesome game. Texas football is crazy. Crazy. It's you a, just show, you just see the, the videos of on the field, either before games or after games, man, it's yeah. too bad the professional teams suck, but yeah, we'll leave that for another day. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't really get get at <laughs> that much. I'm, I'm a Chargers fan, so yeah. don't okay. have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, it's another one of those things where you have hundred thousand seat plus stadiums, just and everybody's just they bleed orange or they bleed maroon, and you know we're about to see that bleeding green and bleeding orange here. Um, 
tomorrow and looking forward to it. Looking forward to indeed. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some Oregon volleyball as well as basketball for men's and women's. And then later on, we're going to do a pro sports roundup. Keep it right here on 88.1. Quack Smack, KWVA, Eugene, 88.1. KWVA. I checked my voter Fair registration clear. online and I am ready to vote. I feel amazing. Hey, you! Did you know the Republican and Democratic parties have closed primaries? That means you need to register with one of them to vote in their primary election. Or you can register with a minor party or not be affiliated with any party at all. You get to choose. That's why your ballot may have different candidates than mine. Oh, wow. I'm going to hike around Crater Lake and treat myself to clam chowder at the coast. Don't know how to check if you registered? Just visit OregonVotes.gov and be sure to check at least 21 days before the May election to make any updates. I feel incredible. Who wants to frolic in some tulips? This message is brought to you by the Oregon Elections Division. For more information, go to OregonVotes.gov. Like what you're listening to? Want to be a part of the flagship station of numerous Oregon sports, interview Duck athletes, and have a hand in the media scrum? Then look no further than the very station you're listening to, KWVA 88.1 FM. Email sports at kwvaradio.org, DM our Instagram at kwva sports, or head down to the station itself next to Bartolotti's located on the bottom floor of the EMU to find out more. This is Neil Everett from Sports Center. When I'm in Eugene, I listen to Quack Smack, and you better too. KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM. Go Ducks, Quack! You're back right here on Quack Smack 88.1. Saul Galvan, Ben McGrath, and David Miller here for this Wednesday edition of the show. I don't know about you guys, but when I was coming into the EMU, it was, it was pretty spooky. Like, it, it's weird being in here in the studio. Even I mean, we're allowed to be in here, obviously, but when no one else is here, it's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I feel a little bit more comfortable taking a stroll through the cemetery through the you do i don't <laughs> that's I, a hot take yeah that's i i would have i'm avoiding that and i live close to the cemetery so when i walk home i'm walking like almost through the softball stadium because i do not want to go anywhere near it there's just something about it like i feel like i'm in a scooby-doo episode <laughs> see i would feel like more like a haunted horror movie I, I don't know what comes off the top of my head but i would not feel scooby-doo vibes i mean i guess that's just a difference of opinion i mean Maybe if the Oregon Duck was there when he took the picture with the the head, that, that would that be, be a little scary. scary. Thing. That that would be scary. I would be terrified of the Oregon Duck. Imagine you're just walking through the cemetery. It's dark, and you just see the silhouette of the duck. <sighs> yeah, that would terrify me. You're getting quality content here on the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're getting Halloween content on the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, let's talk some Oregon volleyball. They had a good matchup yesterday against USA. They won three sets to one. It was a big win that the Oregon team needed over number 24-ranked USC. Really, other than the you know, second set, which is what, the one they lost, they had a very good match overall. They won the first set 25-18. They lost the second set. Oh, sorry. I'm actually reading from the Arizona State score. 
as on me. So they won the first set 25 to 14. They lost the second set 26 to 24. So it was a pretty close one. And then they won the third set 25 to 16, fourth set 25 to 22. I mean, what, what were you guys' just overall thoughts from last night's game? I think it just showed what uh, Oregon has showed all season long. I mean, Morgan Lewis did a thing, 19 kills. Mimi Collier, of course, 11. Uh, and I think just the brand of this team is is just everyone is involved. Everyone is making plays. With the loss of Brooke Nunaviller last year, this team was kind of looking for answers. Last year was pretty much entirely Mimi Collier and Brooke Nunaviller always, always, always getting the kills. And so going into this year, they're looking for people to step up, and that's exactly what they've done this season and in this game against USC. Again, Morgan Lewis with 19 kills on 48 percentage. You know, a big, big player this whole year and in this game is Gabby Gonzalez. Yeah, um, I think the the mantra of this team all year has just been, you know, kicking it and taking names, right? They they just always seem to figure figure things out quick. They take teams to the to the wire. They never go down without a fight, um, and that that just showed against USC. You know, they had the the one close set where they ended up losing in the second. But they were they were only one point away from taking that one. Of course, you have Morgan Lewis nearly doubling up the entire field of both USC and Oregon on kills. It it's just a really well rounded team that just doesn't take just doesn't take it from anyone. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And I think especially in the second half of the season, after the loss to Stanford, it's really when this team kind of took off. And obviously they they were, you know, they had a pretty good record going into Arizona State. They had a pretty good record going into against Stanford. Those matchups were at home. But then once they beat Washington State and Washington, this team kind of took off. Their only loss is to Stanford, and even that, they're the number four team in the nation, and they took them to five sets. So, I, honestly, you know, it's kind of like football, too, where they lost those first couple games, or the first game, really, against Arizona State and Stanford. And since then, they've just been really on a tear. They They've been in control pretty much every single game. They haven't played many matches to five sets. They went to five sets with Cal. They only went to four sets with Arizona State. And then obviously last night, too, four sets with USC. It's just a team that has a lot of experience and really is playing with a chip on their shoulder. And, you know, obviously with what happened last year, you know, with the loss to Louisville in the Super Regional, you know, they're trying to get back to that. They want to get back to that. They want to keep going ahead they want to try to do whatever they can to make it to the regional and i think that this is a team that could definitely make it to the ncaa championship absolutely and you you talk about the chip on the shoulder and i'm going to go back to brooke nonaviller all season long people were kind of just regretting the end of the season saying like this is it this is the the pinnacle of oregon volleyball we're going to have for years because our superstar brooke nonaviller is leaving and and that's not what happened. And Brooke Nunaviller, don't get me wrong, was an unbelievable player and was absolutely necessary for last year's success. But everyone has stepped up this season and had that chip on their shoulder say, hey, you know, we are a talented team with or without Brooke, and we are going to be back and better than ever before. And, and they've showed that game after game after game. Yeah, I think Mimi Collier has really just kind of picked up. If anything, she's played a lot better than last year because, like you said, she had that complimentary Brooke Nunaviller to where when she wasn't performing, Nunaviller just picked her up. But now Collier really has just kind of 
been into that role where she's pretty much just a one-woman show. She obviously still has a lot of help from Gabby Gonzalez, but really, I mean, she's kind of doing everything in these games, and I think that's just really impressive, and Oregon has really just – they've strived from her just improving as much, even from last year, even though she had a great season last year. Right now, Nebraska's at number one, Stanford at two, Pittsburgh at three, Texas at four, Wisconsin at five, and then Oregon at six. Wisconsin is set to play Nebraska on Friday. And, you know, my next question really is, can the Ducks jump to number five if Wisconsin lose to Nebraska? Now, it is kind of a long shot because Nebraska is number one. They've been number one for most of the season. Wisconsin, they had a close game with them last time. They still lost, obviously, to Nebraska. But, you know, does Oregon have enough of a resume at this point to jump to number five if Wisconsin loses to them? I'm going to say no, and that's because Oregon has yet to be able to beat Stanford this year, and they're sitting there at the number two spot, which, um, you know, if the, if Oregon hasn't been able to beat the number two team, and why would the team that why would the team that loses to the number one team get jumped by Oregon? Yeah, and I would say I'm going to say this: if USC had Skylar Fields playing in last night's game, I would and, and Oregon still beat USC, I would I would give the edge to Oregon. But given that she wasn't playing, uh, I, I don't think that final game gives them the, the resume they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough if you're looking at it from an Oregon perspective because, like I said, they really have kind of bounced back. They beat some of these higher-ranked teams like USC and Arizona State, but you still haven't beat Stanford at all. You're 0-2 against them this year. Wisconsin has has some pretty good games. They lost number 16 Purdue earlier in the year. They beat Purdue, too, in, in the first matchup. They lost in the second one. And then, obviously, they beat Ohio State early in the year as well. They beat Florida as well. So, I mean, they've look when you look at their resume, obviously, they've had a lot more ranked wins than Oregon has up to this point. Nebraska, though, we know that they're a good team. I think it should be a very good matchup overall. I would assume that if Nebraska – wins in three sets, and Wisconsin really just has no life, in my opinion, I think that the Ducks can potentially jump to number five. But, I mean, we're going to have to wait and see. It's really going to be interesting. Also, Oregon, not the only team to – the football team, not the only team to play Oregon State this weekend. Volleyball, they're traveling to Corvallis on Saturday. Matchup is set for 2 o'clock against against the Beavers. So, you know, another big game, for obviously, for the Ducks – not just football, but also for volleyball, especially because Oregon, you know, they're going to host regionals, but they still want to end the season off with a, with a win. Yeah, this is an opportunity for Oregon to just show out. Don't play with your food. This is Oregon State. This is the rivalry. They're going to be here to play. I think this is an opportunity to just punish the Beavers and, and really head into the tournament uh, feeling good. Yeah, I think that this is just as you put it. Just don't play with your food. You know, Oregon State – they're, they have a losing record this year. They're not – their season's mostly over, right? Oregon's is still very much alive. Don't don't let something silly make it more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And leading kind of to the, the next question, really, obviously only one more regular season game and then playoffs start. But in this last game, or kind of in the regional even too, in those first couple games, what really needs to improve before the postseason starts, or at least to, for the Ducks to make a good run? Uh, you know, in Super Regional. I would love to see a bigger role for Carson Bacon. She is a veteran blocker for the Oregon team. And 
she's had some some games where minutes were restricted and whether that's a matchup thing or injuries she struggled with injuries all season long but having a Carson Bacon out there is such a big difference and when she's on she is one of the best blockers and defensive players in the country so if she can really step up I think Oregon is a good shot of making it far in this tournament yeah I think that Oregon just needs to watch out for those service kills yeah the those have creeped in and on a few on a few of their matches like their match earlier this where they came up short against Washington State um it was just not not quite being set not quite being ready for for the service just kind of brushed that up they've been doing better with that throughout the, as they have progressed throughout the season but you know just don't don't beat yourself make the other team have to beat you yeah, no, I completely agree. I think service errors have really just been a big factor for this team, especially early in the year when they lost Washington State, when they lost to Stanford, when they lost to Arizona State. The service errors were absolutely killing them. I mean, they were averaging close to 20 a game in the first half of the season, which if you're a top team, they were still getting away with it, obviously, against teams like UCLA and Washington. But when you're trying to face off in the Super Regional against Arkansas, against Wisconsin, against Nebraska even, they're not going to let you take those service errors. They only had 11 last night against USC, which, I mean, is pretty good, you know, when you compare it to most other teams. But you look at how many Stanford or these top teams have, most of them only have like five or six in a game. And that's really where Oregon needs to be. They need to limit the service errors as much as possible, especially against Oregon State. They really could set the tone kind of if they can limit themselves to probably five or six service errors. But it's not the biggest thing, obviously. The, the, the other big thing, too, for me is – they just need to be more consistent in closeout games. Really, against Arizona State, they won the first two sets. They lost the third set and were completely out of control. They didn't get past 12 points in that in that game. And then, obviously, last night against USC, they lost the second set. So, really, if you're trying to be a team, a top-tier team, consistency is always key. But just closing out, once you have the 2-0 lead, just close it out. You know, like I think, like you said, you said it well, David, don't play around. Just win the third set. Do whatever you can. Play it like a fifth, almost like a fifth set, that you're tied at that point. You know, I really think that's just the mentality that they need to carry into regionals. Well, I think they can, too, because this is a more experienced team than they had last year. Like, Mimi Collier last year was a freshman. She was heading into the Super Regionals or regionals as a freshman straight out of high school. So I think with her having more experience and, and a lot of seniors being on the team, I think they can have that sort of confidence to say, hey, we belong here. We are supposed to be here. Um, and that starts, in my opinion, with Hannah Pukis. If you've walked into any Oregon volleyball game, she is just the absolute energizer bunny for this team. And in those big crowds and those big moments, if this team rallies around Hannah Pukis, I, I think that'll be some good things for this team moving forward. Back to your point, Saul. Um, with the exception of the Arizona State Cal and Stanford games where things slipped out of the the Ducks hands a little bit in the second half of the season they have been pretty good about if they get to that fourth set they take care of things mm -hmm. you know if they if they give up one in the first three they're pretty good about putting putting an end to it stopping the bleeding there so um, that's a that's a good uh thing looking forward for the Ducks yeah for sure I mean honestly I have high hopes for this team I really do I think it's going to be you know they have a chance to go a long way they have the experience they have the chip on the shoulder they're really just similar to football to where 
once they lost the, those first one or two games and kind of got out of their way, they've gotten a lot stronger. And I think that's really just important for a team like this is they have the character to do it. You obviously want to be undefeated because that just shows pure dominance throughout the season. But in this case for Oregon, not just in volleyball but in football, the loss has made the team stronger. I agree, and I think this is kind of a similar aspect to the Golden State Warriors trying to beat the regular season record in 2016. There was so much focus at the end of the season, win games, win games, win games, so we can get this record, and then it didn't work out in the postseason. They Not only did they lose the finals, but they had a, sh a very shaky entire postseason. And, and last year, Oregon went undefeated at home, and so there was kind of that pressure to do it again. But once they lost sort of in the middle of the season, that pressure gets taken off a little bit, and they could just play their game and head to the, head to the regional with uh, a good focus on just winning the national championship. And for that point, you know, looking forward, if, if Oregon runs into Stanford again, they, Stanford's beat Oregon twice this year. It's a lot harder to beat a team three times than it is to come back and beat the other team once. Yeah, and I mean, too, Oregon almost won their second matchup with Stanford. Even though they were on the road in Palo Alto, they took it to five sets. And Oregon really, some would say they almost outplayed Stanford, but Stanford just got lucky on a couple calls. Some of the challenges didn't go their way. So, yeah, it's a good point saying that it's really hard to be a team twice in a row, let alone three times in a row. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how far this team ends up and really just where they're going. We're going to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some Oregon basketball, men, women's and men's teams. And then to end off the show, we're going to do a pro sports roundup. Thank you so much for listening here on your Thanksgiving Eve right here on 88.1 Eugene KWA. UNICEF works across 190 countries and territories to reach the children and young people who are most at risk and most in need. As conflict escalates in Ukraine, UNICEF is on the ground providing safe water, emergency supplies, and social services to children and their families. Learn more at unicef.org forward slash Ukraine forward slash EN. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. 
For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. This is former assistant sports director Adam Sussman. Let's get back to the best show in Eugene, Quacksmack. Welcome back to Quacksmack here on 88.1. Saul Galvan, Beg McGrath, and David Miller on this Thanksgiving Eve episode. So we talked about some Oregon football. We talked about Oregon volleyball. Now let's move into some Oregon basketball, women's and men's. We'll start with women's. Uh, they had a really nice game yesterday. They bounced back against Nevada, which obviously is something that they needed after losing to Santa Clara, 89-50. to 50. It was definitely a loss that not a lot of people expected and really kind of they needed a bounce back, and they definitely got one against Nevada, 76-47 to 47, uh, in Reno. So, you know, we'll start, you know, we'll kind of start, uh, you know, what changes now? after their loss against Santa Clara? Because obviously for you guys, this the loss was pretty unexpected, I guess. A lot of people did not expect Oregon to lose to Santa Clara, let alone at home. It was really something that a lot of people were like, whoa, like what just happened here? They bounced back against Nevada. I mean, really, what, what is it at this point that changed after that Santa Clara loss? Well, I think that Santa Clara loss opens opportunities for all the women on that team to say, hey, you scrap the game plan, scrap everything we've had this year. It was an absolute disaster, but somebody needs to step up now. It's still the young season, but somebody needs to step up, and that's exactly what Grace Van Sluten did uh, in this last in this last game, my mic unplugged, my bad. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Grace showed a lot of promise last year, and uh, in that – previous game she just it just was not working for her I believe she went three for 13 in that game against Santa Clara and really really bounced back against Nevada with uh, 17 points she was the leading scorer for Oregon on six for 14 shooting and, and I think she's trying to make that that impact that hey I'm the best player on this team and I'm going to be the difference maker and, and go out and win games you know I think that you can't take too much you can't you can't freak out too much if you are the Ducks over this loss, right? College basketball is a game of Cinderella stories and upsets. More so than college football, more so than any other college sport, really. You you know, how many times do you get to the tournament and you see a 16 seed St. Mary's or something running and making a Final Four run? That's So this is just one game. This isn't even this isn't even tournament basketball, so I think it's just take your lumps while you can. You know, there's still a lot of season ahead. Still got a, a good chance to make a push this year. Yeah, it's really that's really well put. They shot 45% from the field. They didn't have a great day from three-point range. They went 4-14, but like you said, Ben, I mean, Van Sluen, she had 17 points. Philippine Che had 16 points. And how about Sarah Rambis getting in the action, too? She had 17 points as well, so really Oregon just spread the ball around well. They shot better shots than they did against Santa Clara. Also, too, I would like to say that, I mean, Santa Clara absolutely just went off. It, it was really, I guess it's a good way to put it, that it was almost too much for Oregon because, I mean, when you make 16 threes, it's kind of hard to stop that, even if you're a top team like Oregon. Yeah, I mean, whenever you're making threes, 
size stops mattering. You know, all the the athletic prowess that Oregon might have over an opponent like Santa Clara, it kind of goes out the window because you're just it's all technical then. It's all just the technicality of are the shots falling. Yeah, I mean, starting off in that first quarter, 80% from three for Santa Clara, that's just not going to happen again, you know. And so that's something that Oregon can can be positive about and just, hey, hey, they were just making shots, and whether we are guarding them or not, uh, you know, they, they just had an unbelievable night. Yeah, I mean, right now they have a match. They have a game next week against Portland. Then they're going to go to Waco, Texas for a matchup against Baylor. That's really bit the, the matchup that I look at as kind of the most important one in this kind of first part of the season before conference play starts because we know that once conference play starts, it's going to be really tough for this team because just like football and volleyball, the Pac-12, so deep, unbelievable. Right now there are six teams in the top 25 for women's basketball. Oregon is not one of them, but it really just shows you how in-depth the Pac-12 is. And that's also where Oregon kind of struggled last year. They had a really good start to the season last year, and then when conference play started – they won one game in one week, and then it felt like they just were losing for two weeks in a row before they won their next game. Yeah, I know this might not be on the agenda today, but is there an argument to be made that this is the best Pac-12 conference in all, around all sports in Pac-12 history, and it's the final year? I mean, I feel like throughout the past 10 years, the Pac-12 has gotten, like I said before, so much slack. The Big Ten, the SEC is, has sort of the big dogs have kind of trash Pac-12 and whenever we have success they say oh well you're in the Pac-12 and all of a sudden in every sport the Pac-12 is dominating yeah I gotta agree I mean I think everyone's taking notice of the Pac-12 right now and all the analysts say too that the Pac-12 is the deepest conference in all of college sports not just in football but in volleyball in basketball in baseball I mean year in and year out you have four or five sometimes even six teams in the top 25 no other you know conference is doing that Right now, I mean, especially in the SEC for football, it's Alabama, it's Georgia, and it's Missouri, and that's it. Auburn has fallen off. Florida has fallen off. They're just really not playing that the way they should be, and I think that's the the thing about the Pac-12 is they've really just always been consistent in sending four, five, six teams in the top 25 versus other conferences where they may be bigger, but they only have three or four teams playing. Oh, yeah. yeah, and even in sorry to cut you off, but in even a sport like women's basketball, where it's just a very growing sport, tons of programs are going up and down. The Pac-12 still has five out of the top eleven in the early rankings here in this season. That's unbelievable. Oh yeah, but you also got to remember that NCAA and college sports, the bread is buttered with football and with honestly men's basketball, and the Pac-12, for better or for worse, has been. They haven't been able to send those super dominant teams. They've had a lot of really good teams that just beat up on each other and then never make it out be, and never get the opportunity to actually go up against those those teams. And, you know, everybody the, – the country centers around and watches football games, right? But it's not quite there for your Olympic sports, for your um, more obscure things. Yeah. No, I mean I – mean, like I said, this is definitely a tough conference for any single sport, but for women's basketball especially, I, there's just so much competition out there. And it's really going to be a test for the Ducks when they get to conference play in January to see how they do. Same thing for the men's team moving on here. They beat Florida A&M yesterday. They're in Florida for, I would say, about a week and up until next weekend. They beat them 67-54, to 54, a pretty good win. This men's team has not really struggled at all in this first kind of part of the year. They play this weekend, the Emerald Coast Classic. They're going to start off against Santa Clara 
on Friday. And then if they win that game, it will either be against Ohio State or Alabama. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling really confident in this team right now, despite all the injuries. And we'll get to that in just a bit. But really through these first four games, they haven't played high-caliber opponents like they're going to see in a few weeks when they play against Michigan. But they're still playing some really good basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a team that's trying to find their identity, I think. Uh, no player, I guess except for Enfale Dante, really stands out amongst the rest. A player that I keep in mind is Keyshawn Barthelemy. I think he has a lot to show this year. He was hurt for a majority of last year, which was also his first year on Oregon. He was a transfer from Colorado. But given that this team doesn't have too many guards that are very experienced, I think this is a, a big chance for Keyshawn to uh, take the reins of this offense. You know, I think that the best thing Oregon has going for them is continuity going forward, and mainly with Infale Dante, right? He's kind of been the cornerstone of the team, and, you know, he, he's a well-known name for a reason. He just consistently is an, is an athletic prowess and just take, has a tendency to really control games. Um, and that's something that you don't really see a lot in college basketball is just the continuity. You so much, so much of college basketball at the highest level has become, has become these one and done prospects, which of course, you know, if you're a one and done prospect, you're amazing. You're going to the NBA, but that, that there's also a reason that teams who have continuity like Villanova in the past few years have been able to really make some special runs and also including San Diego State last year. Yeah, it's a good point to make. I, I think continuity is just a big thing, especially for men's basketball. And they've really done well in this first part of the season, 4-0 to start. And they got some big games coming up, not just against Santa Clara or Ohio State and Alabama. You, you play Michigan here in Eugene on December 2nd, and then you head off to, get to play against Syracuse. And then conference play starts on the t December 28th against USC. And, I mean, USC has looked pretty good so far. But really the experience, I think, is something to keep an eye on because, you know, they have obviously in Folly Dante is a big guy who came back. You got Nate Biddle, Jermaine Kuznar, Keyshawn Bartholomew, guys who were here last year who made a really big impact down the stretch, even though Oregon really was kind of out of the race towards the end. They were still putting up pretty good numbers, and they've really stepped up in these past couple weeks. You know, kind of staying into it, uh, there was no in Folly Dante, there was no Nate Biddle, yet Oregon was still able to win against Florida A&M. You know, do injuries, you know, are are injuries going to affect this team that much going, you know, into games like Santa Clara and Ohio State? I mean, that's that's such a part of basketball that it, it can. If if you want to be a successful team, you need to be able to be successful with injuries, especially in college basketball. These are many of these players are, are coming out of high school and coming off of 13, 14 game seasons. And then all of a sudden heading into a college basketball season, there's injuries all across the board. So I think every team's going to have to deal with injuries. And if this team wants any success, uh, they're going to have to fight through that. Yeah, I think it all hinges on the depth of the team. Um, who who of the new guys that are kind of getting mixed into the fold? Who's gonna step up and make the name for themselves? Right? Who's gonna who's gonna try and be that next generation of leader? Yeah, it's a good point to make. I I think honestly, one guy he's not new, but I would say he's kind of still kind of finding his role in the system. But he's made a pretty good impact so far. Is Brendan Rigsby? I think he's just a guy who can easily come off the bench and provide big minutes for Oregon, especially in a case where you have Biddle and where you have uh, 
Dante out because that's what kind of what Oregon did on Monday against Florida A&M. They were pretty guard heavy. They didn't really have a lot of tall guys or forwards. They were kind of just quick subbing guards in, and it worked for them. They got the do- they got the job done. It's obviously not what you want to do. You want to have your two big guys as well as your top two scorers out on the floor with you. But I would say they execute the game plan pretty well. Brennan Rigsby, I think, could definitely be a guy where if he finds his way into the starting lineup, he could definitely be an impactful player for this for this team. I agree. I mean, he's he's been on this team, like you said, but, but hasn't really found uh, consistent minutes. But this is a year with Will Richardson leaving last year. This is a, an opportunity for him to step up you know, in that guard spot, possibly behind Bartholomew, and, and have a significant bench role. Uh, and as a team that struggled last year with three-point shooting, that's another area of emphasis he can he can hit home. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these teams go. Obviously, you never want injuries to happen. It doesn't matter what team you're on. You never want injuries to occur to your team. And I think especially for both of these teams, not just men's, but also for women's, obviously women's, they lost Peyton Scott. She's going to be out for the year. But for the men's team, how do they kind of – manage as soon as these guys come back because it's not just Nate Biddle and and Folly Dante, Jacob Shellstead, Mookie Cook, guys that are more likely going to return close to the end of December when they start conference play. I mean, do you use those games as kind of tester games to see how they're going to settle in? Or do you trust what you have right now out on the court as a way to kind of, you know, keep like you like David said, keep that consistency among the lineup. And then if you need these freshmen, you know, who are high high valued refreshment, obviously they were high uh, ranked recruits coming in. Do you put them in right away, or do you give them time to, to you know, kind of settle in? I think if it's working heading into their recovery, you absolutely stick with what's working. Like you said earlier, continuity and and uh, just being able to work together is everything in college basketball. Often you don't see the superstar scoring 20, 30 points. Uh, you know, the, the ball is shared so often. So if, if the ball is rolling with this team heading into recovered injuries, I think you stay with the lineups that are working. I think you have to start to work in the newer guys that are coming back. You know, I'm not saying go out and start them, but, you know, here and there, if you have, if you have a 15-point lead going into half, if you have, uh, you know, a good cushy lead towards the end of the game, get them some minutes. Let them run the offense. And don't don't just kind of, you know, lighten your foot on the pedal just because you're trying to get these guys reps. Make sure that they're getting full-speed reps that they so that way they know what their role is going to be whenever they get back into the back into the lineup yeah that's a good point boys this has been a fun show i've had so much fun with you guys it's you know what it sucks being here on thanksgiving but hey we're here we made, and we're it. On, we made it we're on quack smack uh tune in tomorrow for a special thanksgiving edition of quack smack ben mcgrath is going to be on there i'll be on there as well oh, yeah. we're also gonna have jonah jonah on there uh that's gonna be pretty exciting we'll Make sure we get to you guys at the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, For myself, Saul Galvan, as well as Ben McGrath, our producer, and David Miller. Tune in tomorrow for Quack Smack at 6 o'clock. Also Friday, Oregon State against Oregon. Final matchup between these two teams. 5.30 kickoff, Ryan Milano, Knight Uretsky on the call. But for that, we're going to end it here tonight. Have a good Thanksgiving, everyone.